Okay, I wanted to start this morning in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, but before we get... This morning, I wanted to start in chapter 2, in verse 9. I thought it was appropriate because what we've been looking at is, is the gospel... Peter ended the first chapter by saying, Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. And the first thing that the gospel, that he's saying that it, that it does, in verse 1 of chapter 2, is that we have to lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. And we're to come to this as newborn babes, a desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You may grow you know, they say that the mother's milk is one of the most completed nutritions for a, an infant. Absolutely it is. It's God ordained. He's the one, not infamil. God ordained it. And he likens that to the Word of God. We are going to grow, no matter what physical age we are, we are going to grow from babes in Christ to mature Christians by feeding on the Word of God. Let me tell you how important this is. Jesus made an astounding statement. I have marveled over this for years. And it's in John chapter 6. You don't have to turn there. It's on John chapter 6, verse 57. He says, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the written Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. He's the living Word. When we feed on the written Word of God and we grow thereby, we grow in character, we grow in Christ-likeness, we grow in maturity, we grow in confidence, we grow in strength, but we grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. This is what the Word does. So I want to start at verse 9 of chapter 2 today. And yeah, let's all say it together. I'm excited. I, you know, the more and more I, I love the fact that I have the greatest position in the world. I have the greatest position. Uh, occupation in the world. I've been many things and I love my secular job. That is nothing compared to this because the Word of God causes growth. What separates biblical Christianity from all other religions in the world? And that is the living Christ. That's the living Word that is alive and active. It's the truth. And Jesus said, the truth will set you free. You know, there was a, uh, a, a bumper sticker that I, it was really kind of annoying after a while because it was so, it was so prevalent, I'm sure everywhere. But it says, have patience with me. God is not done with me yet. But that is, that is truth. 
God is, God is not done with me yet. He's fashioning me. Every day that I live, if I allow Him, there is something that He works in my life that reflects Him. If I allow it. By complaining, by being bitter, I quench that work in his life or in my life and I grieve him. I want God's work to be completed in my life. He promises he's going to do it. And then how are we going to do it apart from the word of God? You can't. And then the next step that comes up that, that I think that a lot of times blocks a new believer is the, we've talked about it before, is always that one book, or you're always searching for that something that's just going to give you that right thing. You know, you're going to learn so much from this one book, and you're going you're to grow. I know when I was a young Christian, I loved books. I always have my whole life. And the tendency when my early years of Christianity was we, we, you know, you go in these Christian bookstores or what have you and see all these neat books and you think, man, if I just, uh, you know, could get the right book and I could really grow or what have you, you know how many books there are in the will of God alone? My rents. Do I need a book to teach me about the will of God? Now, I'm not saying all books are wrong. Don't get me wrong. But here's what my plight was. It was that story that we said uh, last week about the, the, the gulls. How when the fishing was great, they, they threw the scraps and the seagulls. Remember that story? Fed and fed and fed as long as they were there. But the fishing got bad and, and, and they had to move down the coast. But the seagulls were stupid and they stayed right there. And because nobody was there constantly spoon feeding, they were giving us something every day and they didn't learn to feed for themselves, they died. And that's a spiritual precedent. We want to feed on the Word of God that we might grow thereby. Maybe look at Bible reading a little bit differently now. Maybe if you look at it, it's going, you know what, this is nourishment for my soul. I'm going to grow every time I get into this Word. Every time I open my Bible in the morning, I have two things that I know that's going to happen. And maybe for some of you listening or, or whatever... You can understand this, and maybe this will help you out. There's two reasons why we should come to the Word of God afresh in the morning. Number one, God promises to meet us in His Word. So we go to His Word to hear from God. And the prelude to that is we must believe and ask God if we have a struggle here. We must believe that this is God's Word. This is not man's Word. This is not a book that was written by man to disclose about what God is. This is a document that God inspired his scribes and his apostles to write down. This is his word. This word would have not have been any different as if God wrote it with his own finger. This is God's word. So number one, again, we come to word, we come to the word of God as an expectant attitude. Not that we deserve it, but that's more of a wonderful thing. We don't deserve it. But God has, has redeemed us for His own, and He desires to speak to us. And we find it in His Word. So we come expectantly to hear from God. And number two, we know that this is 
food. This is growing. This is, this is nourishment for my soul. I can feed my outer man. And sometimes I feed it too much. But this is food for the real me, which resides within. You know, this isn't Jeff Graham. What's Jeff Graham is on the inside. Is on the one God created me, an eternal being. This feeds that. This nourishes the real me. You know, so much of us are concerned about diets and how we look and everything and, and so forth. Do, are we really as concerned about our real us, the, the, the man that's going to live forever? The one that God sees? The one that God dwells in? This is, a, this is just a tabernacle for him to dwell in. Maybe that might change our attitude. I know some, some people that are so careful on what they eat, and yet they're not as careful on what they take in every day. They're not so careful to realize that it's the Bible, the Word of God, that's going to nourish them and feed them and quench their thirst and quench their hunger, satisfy their hunger. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 6, He who believes in me will never thirst. He who believes in me will never be hungry. Think about those two ways. Maybe that's a new way we could come to the Bible, come to God's Word, and get excited and get fed and grow. That's why he says, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word, by it you may grow. Don't, don't mistake me by saying all books are wrong. There's some good material out there. We wrote that last book just for that. So people would would understand certain things. And that we would follow Christ regardless of, of our circumstances, regardless what we what we hear, what we would feed on the Word of God. Remember those two points. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Now, if you have a King James, I believe it says peculiar, which was the uh, 17th century word for, for special or appraised, or, or it, it has intimate, uh, an intimate connotation. I'm his own. You are his own. That denotes ownership. I am safe. You are safe. God loves me. I am His own. His own special people. We, collectively, are His body. Think about that. We're individually members of it. that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Wow, we don't have time to go through all the verses that uh, Paul talks about it in Colossians and elsewhere, that we've been translated from, from the kingdom of Satan, of darkness, translated into His marvelous light, into the kingdom of His beloved Son. We have been translated. How does that happen, Paul says? How that happens? In 1 Corinthians 12, he tells you that we've been baptized into the body of Christ. We've been taken out of death 
and placed into his body, into his life himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory, and so forth. Wow. God took me from death, and God transferred me into the kingdom of his beloved Son, never to be in jeopardy of being lost again. Men today are saying, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. Because then again, you know, you're preaching once saved, always saved. You know what? Look, let's, let's just hit this head on for a minute. Once saved, always saved. Really? Once you are saved and genuinely converted and regenerated by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, you are safe, secure, and never being put in jeopardy. Again, that's what redemption means. You were bought off the slave market never to be in danger again. You were bought with a price. We are not talking about somebody who says, oh yeah, I went up when I was 13 years old and I, and I said a prayer and I'm saved and there's no evidence of life that go on living the way that... I'm not saying that. But for you and I that have turned to Jesus Christ as bearing our punishment on the cross, taking our sins upon Himself as our personal sin bearer of, of, from, from the penalty of sin, we are in Him. We're his own special people. We're his own special creation. I am his child. And I love him. And the more I know about the gospel and what happened, the more I realize that I am here to not only enjoy him forever, but to proclaim the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Knowing that I will never be put in jeopardy again. Knowing that I will not know banishment. Knowing that I will not know hell. Knowing that I will not stand to him as the judge of all the earth but I will stand before Him as my loving Savior, my loving Creator. Yeah. We used to have a thing when we lived in Nevada. My my, uh, my mom used to have a, front, uh, a deal that went out of her house, and, and it just, the, the water would drip off at certain times. And uh, there was always a, always a precedent about ice in Nevada. The, the more, or anywhere, the, the more careful you are, the more you're bound to slip. When you walk on ice, you have to make your strides confident and assurance or you're going to slip. Sure enough, my mom came out of the door one time and because she's all rickety, she slipped and fell. That's how a lot of people are with their salvation. That's how a lot of people are with their understanding of, of their position in Christ. And they say, no, you can't. You can't be solid on that. Yes, you can. We can understand that that's the devil that, that puts that out, says once saved, always saved. People get the connotation of the fact that I can buy an insurance policy and put it away and know that when I'm 75 years old, it's going to be fruition. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody that comes to Christ that is born again, that is translated from darkness into light. Jesus said it perfectly in John 5, 24. 
This is what the gospel does. A born-again individual has passed from judgment or death into life because his judgment was heaped upon Christ. And now he is a new creation in Christ. Are you sure of your salvation? Are you sure that if you were to die tonight or today, that you would be standing before a loving creator that is your savior and that you will be welcomed into his kingdom because Christ shed his blood for you and rose again and satisfied the father's righteous demand of his holy law on your behalf. But I'm not perfect. I'm not righteous. I can't do good exactly. That's the whole point. We cannot reform ourselves. We cannot be religious. We need to be born again. We need to have new life. We are devoid of life. I don't care how beautiful that lamp is. If it doesn't have electricity flowing into it, it might be a beautiful lamp, but it does not have life. That We were like that lamp. And now that we've been born again, we have the very life of Christ in us. We are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, or Paul says to Titus, and we are new creatures in Christ. There are no abortions in the kingdom of God. Why do some men call this heresy? Why do some men say that that is not the case? You know why? I'll give you my understanding of it. It's because they do not know the character of God. Because God is a delivering God, for one thing. God's a keeping God for another thing. And before the whole world, before this age gets over, the Jews are going to prove that. God says, you are my witnesses. We are his witnesses too. We are born again. We are we, we're a priesthood. We're his own special people that we can proclaim the praises of him that did this. People can understand You know, when somebody comes to me and says, once saved, always saved, I don't even give it a second thought. And nine times out of ten, they come to you with that because they want to know, why are you so sure? How are you so secure? Why do you know? Because I know the character of my God, and from Genesis to Revelation, he is a saving, delivering God, but he is also a keeping God. He's trustworthy. Paul, can you imagine? He's had his illustrious career. He's going away. He knows that shortly he's going to be with the Lord. And he said that he is confident that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. You look at many times, Paul says he's confident. Philippians 1 6, remember, I'm confident in this very thing. He began a good work. Wait a minute. No, maybe, maybe halfway through it, something might have gone wrong. And God says, You know what? I, I, I don't think so. You were almost there. You came up to the very threshold of my house, and sorry. Where is that in the Word of God? There are some hard scriptures but those hard scriptures and you look them up you all know where they are you'll go if you read the bible enough but realize that those hard scriptures that that seem to say that maybe you can lose something once you have they were just 
they are proclaiming what is in your heart. They're revealing the heart. You look at Paul is is in, in the translation of some of these verses uses the word if a lot, and that doesn't mean if, but it means since. Okay? Give an example. Colossians chapter three. Since you've been raised with Christ, or if you've been raised with Christ. It's not it's it is an arbitrary thing. So Don, since you put on that blue shirt, I like it. Or it's not questioning, it's since you've been raised with Christ, if you've been raised with Christ, then do this. Seek those things that which are above, where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. Where's your heart at? You've been saved, now God tells you to do something. We act and our character is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, but nonetheless, it is built from the cross. It is built from a secure position. That is why the Bible is replete with talking about foundations. Okay, Jesus talked about foundations when the, the, the man built his house on the sand. He has no foundation, but one who builds himself on a rock. The scripture that Paul says that we're, this church is built on, the foundation which is Jesus Christ, we can go all through the Bible and find out that God talks about foundations. What are we built on? It's His foundation. He is the one. We are the ones that are resting on the, under, in, underneath us are the everlasting arms. And we can go on and on. It is confidence. We have become a chosen generation. We become a chosen people. God chose us. And we answer the call. It's a mystery. But God also says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. He chose you because he loved you. And look, Because look at verse 10. Who once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. When we were in Hosea, God also uses that about his people. You know? Another mutable fact that he's not done with his people. Because as Peter is saying that to us now as the church, a church, the chosen of God, a special people, he also takes that from Hosea chapter 1, where God says the same thing about his chosen earthly people. He promises that he is not done with them yet. He is not done with us. He is still calling those out of darkness. Year by year, God is calling people to himself. He's not done yet. But there's going to come a day when just like how God, you know, is, is full of patience and grace, that day is going gonna, is gonna, to, when all the fullness of Gentiles come in, then that door is going to be shut, and then God will resume his wonderful workings with his chosen earthly people, the Jews. You can't get around it. Our God is a, is a choosing, saving, delivering, keeping, trusting God. Do we know that? It's what the Bible teaches. So we weren't, we weren't, we weren't, once we're not a people, but now we're the people of God. Look at verse 11. This, this is, this is fantastic. It says, beloved, I beg you, 
as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from flesh and lust which wage war against the soul. Let's read down just this next verse. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God on the day of visitation. We'll get into that. First of all, we are sojourners. We're pilgrims, you know. We're, we're not, we all know this, but we're not our own. We're, we're, we're not here to stay. We are here temporarily. We are transient. This is not our home. I don't want to be in a position to where I have to be before my Lord and have to try to give an account or be have uh, lots of words why I knew this and wasted my time. You know, do you view yourself as a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth? If you don't, you need to read the Word. Jesus made this astounding statement. I am no more of this world, even as they aren't. But let me put it in, in, the, in the way that, uh, that was Jeff Graham's paraphrase. Let me put it the way that Jesus said it. They are no longer of the world, even as I am not of the world. We are in a different life. We are in a different situation. We have a different future. We have a different role here. Let me ask you something. How can you be confident in that not knowing for sure that you're safe and secure in Christ? Some of your kids don't believe that. I'll guarantee you that. If some of your kids have gone to college, or some of your kids are involved in some of these emergent churches, or this, they don't believe that. In fact, they don't even teach that. Because, see, we're here in uh, the idea of a lot of this ongoing flux of, of, of American courage, the Christianity today, I will say, that will teach that, no, we're here for another reason. We're here to set up this world for Christ. So the idea of being a foreigner and a sojourner is definitely foreign. And I can guarantee you right now, some of your kids don't believe that they can even be confident about their salvation. I have actually been told that I've been arrogant in believing that way. Call it what you want. But God has, in His Word, has promised me a position in Him. In His Word, He has promised me and you that we are in His Son. As Donald Gray Barnhouse used to say, you can no more take the believer out of Christ than you can take Christ out of God. That is biblical. But it all comes down to the fact of knowing our God, knowing His character. Wow. 
Like I said, I've given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of them. What's John chapter 17, verse 15? Jesus saying that to his Father. About strangers and pilgrims, this is Psalm 119, 19. It says, I am a stranger in the earth, hide not thy commandments from me. I'm a stranger in the earth. We're called to abstain, and because we're strangers, to abstain from the flesh, lest it's waged war on the soul. Paul says in chapter 8 of Romans, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is not our home. We have been spiritually blessed with spiritually, uh, all spiritual blessings because that's what we are, we're spiritual people. We've been bought of the Spirit, we've been indwelt by the Spirit. Jesus Christ's blood paid for the for our sins. We've been sealed with the Spirit. You look at that book of Ephesians, Paul uses that sealing twice, once in chapter 1 and once in chapter 4. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We've been sealed as our guarantee of a down payment. He seals us as that guarantee. Do you know that? We're saved. We're sealed. Now, going on that premise of being saved and sealed, we're to go out and proclaim the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. I'm a stranger and I'm a pilgrim on this earth. And God says that my spirit in you you can put to get death deeds of the body so that people might, might see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's go on here. Having your conduct honorable, verse 12, among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's look at this for a little while. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father which is in heaven. Having your conduct honorable. Cam touched on it this morning. Excellent. Are we going to use excuses for the way that we are? Are we going to use excuses for what we do? Or are we going to be serious about Christ? That's another thing that the Satan, that Satan will come into this world within the church and say, you're too serious. And lighten up. Line up a little bit. <coughs> no. Peter also says in this epistle, in his fourth, the fourth chapter, the seventh verse, he said, But the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watch one of the prayers. Satan is saying, Ah, oh, come on. Don't be serious. Laugh it up. You know? Don't be so serious. My gosh. You act like the world's ending. My point. The world is ending. People are going to hell every day. I think the last statistics say there's a, there's a person every 1.5 second dying. <laughs> I think it's five, I don't know. The number one complaint about the church is that people are hypocrites. That there's worse judgmental people within the church than there's out. I'm tired of seeing people being a hypocrisy and, and religious hypocrites is the worst thing. I had a gentleman in my home about a month ago. My heart broke for him. I used to, you know, years ago, uh, go to the same church that he did just for a short while. He was duped twice by a pastor that had crashed and burned. And he came into my house and he said, Jeff, he said, I or my wife will never step into a church again. 
He goes, you know what's wrong with the church? Christians. Those were exact words. Bitter, bitter, bitter. What do you think the world does? All kinds of false accusations. Well, some of them aren't false anymore. The example Cam brought up this morning, and the devil would love to take that and just tear it apart. We already talked about the fact that, you know, <laughs> we give him help. The divorce rate is that is the same out in the world as it is in the church. We go around and praise God on one side of our tongue and curse men on the other side of the tongue. We have no problem being maligned. And as we'll also see, Peter's talking about that judgment must begin in the household of God first. And if us, what's going to happen to those outside of Christ? So, watch your conduct. Paul said to Timothy, watch your teaching and your manner of life. It's important. You know? How are we going to watch our manner of life and how is it going to be a pinpointed interest to us unless we know that we are saved? We've been bought with a price. Therefore, the Bible says, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Glorify God that way. I think it was said one time, it wasn't said by me first of all, but I, I adapted it. This is the best that it will be for a non-believer. This is the best. If they don't turn to Christ before they die, this is the best they're ever going to know. This is the worst for us, if you will. We have glories unspeakable that are going to follow that are going to follow us, or we should we're following. Isn't that amazing? And yet there are some people out there as Christians that act like, wow, this is such a bummer to be here. In fact, you know what? I don't even want to go to church because all that guy harps on is this or that or whatever. You know? We're going to be with Christ. He considers us a stranger and a pilgrim on this earth. What does he mean by when he says, having not only your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What does that mean? Well, I've been sure I have two points. It might mean here the day of God's open grace, whereby men are saved, or it might mean the day of judgment, when God judges the world in righteousness. I want to read a passage. You can turn if you want. But in Luke 19, Luke chapter 19, verse 41, Jesus says an interesting thing about the day of visitation. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. In this Luke 19, 41. Saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side, verse 44, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. 
It's the only other time that we see that Jesus using that vernacular of speech. You know, there's going to be people that are going to see the validity of your faith by what you do. And there's also going to be a time when people are going to see, the world's going to see the validity of your faith when they stand before God and they have to give an account of why they did not accept the free offer of forgiveness spoken of by Jeff or, or Cam or, or Jerry or any one of my servants. You don't think that's going to come to light? Yes, it will. Everything, the Bible says, will come to light. And God in judgment. I'm thinking of the time that we come back with Him in judgment. The praises of Him who saved us. Who called us to be His own. Who brings us with Him. I remember my dad when I was a youngster bringing me with him and his friends. Going, going fishing, whatever they did. He brought me with him. Because I was his son. And he brought me with him. Christ saved us from our sin. And we're not, we don't have judgment anymore. Because judgment fell upon our, our wonderful Savior. And, and now maybe this day of visitation. Maybe, just maybe in the day of judgment. When we come back with him. We are coming back with him. Our Savior. To, so that he might enact judgment on Christ's rejecting world. However you mean that to be. Both are true. Both are biblical. The day of God's open grace. Whereby men can be saved. They see my good works. They see my good conduct. It gives validity. To the fact that I have been delivered from darkness in the light. What more of a valid point I have in my life than my own life itself. We, this world, especially the United States, is saturated with scams and, you know, uh, car salesmen with shiny white shoes and bright teeth and say, you know, just, you know, they're all, we're used to that. The people outside the church is used to that. Oh, he goes to church. He's a, he's a church goer. Yeah, he's one of those guys. But when our life gives validity to our salvation, that's powerful. And they're going to glorify God in the day of, of visitation. Well, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance for man's sake. Or excuse me, for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme or to governors as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the, and the praise of those who do good. You know, Romans chapter 13 gives a good understanding of that. That God set up punishment for the evildoers and praise for the good. What is a character like? Are you by your character proclaiming the praises of called you out of darkness and into light? Or when people see you, you know, actions speak louder than words. Or when people see you, do they 
Can they see that something has happened in life? Are we showing the glory of God by who we are? Because that's true witnessing. True witnessing is going out in the world and being a and allowing what has happened inside of us to shine forth on the outside. We've been saved. I've been saved. I no longer have judgment to look forward to. I no longer have the fear of death. I no longer have to wonder what's going to happen to me after I die. I have the answers. You have the answers. This world is screaming for answers. How do people look at Christ by your life? Do they see him as a as a very judgmental, uh, exacting person? Are you so dogmatic that that nobody want to, would want to get close to? I mean, they're already under the load of guilt. There's one thing you don't have to teach an adult man or woman that they're a sinner. They all know that they're sinners. They're already under guilt. They're already under the wrath of God. They already have a weight just of life themselves. So by our life, do they, do they see a very exacting God, very ready to flick us off into hell if we don't do something that's right? Angry with us every day? Or are they going to see a marvelous creator that became our redeemer, that loves us, that has called us to a life of joy and forgiveness of sin? One who has called us and has given us that inner gladness that just shines out despite our circumstances. That's Christianity. And if we aren't learning Christianity from the Word of God like that, we're wasting our time because we're here to snatch people out of the fire. I've told you about that English teacher I had in 10th grade, and this has nothing to do, but there's a spiritual precedent here. That lady... That woman changed my life regarding English and the love of the English language. And that's the reason why I write, and that's the reason a lot of things. She changed my life. Some of us say, well, I'm not teachers. I'm not, you know, I, or I'm not a pastor. I'm not. No, but you're, God puts you out into the world to shine forth. The praises of him. Are you a grateful person? You want a witness for Christ? Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We have too many Christians that go about and think that they're better than somebody. Or they, they, they want to thump the word into you. Or they see another brother and they say, no, this is no, let me take, let me take that splinter out of your eye. Don't mind the log in my own. That's what the gospel does. We are born again. Now we know God. We know God. Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. I will tell you this. 
Everybody outside of Jesus Christ do not know their Creator. In fact, most of them think that either they evolved or whatever else. But we that are born again in Jesus Christ know our Creator. That is a phenomenal statement. Think about that. You can't see Him. You can't feel Him. You can't smell Him. But you know Him. You know the one who created you. That is an amazing fact of a biblical Christian, one who has been born again in Jesus Christ. You want to know what the true gospel is? Go out and allow people to see the life that has been given to you by God himself. That allows people to see somebody that's, that's risen from the dead, that is in Christ, that their sins are forgiven. You know, they, they say in, 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 uh, in the popular polls now among evangelical uh, people that are out there, and I believe it, the number one problem in the world is that people need forgiveness of sin. Period. I can name all kinds of problems my neighbor might have. It doesn't touch the fact that he needs forgiveness of sins. He needs to know his Creator, which he does not outside of Christ. Jesus said, To know me is to know the Father. They who mistreat the Son mistreat the Father also. They who do not believe the Son have not the Father also. These are all sayings of our beloved Savior. So we are sojourners, we are pilgrims, we're different from the world. We have life in us. It's okay to let go. It's okay to let your hair down, so to speak, to let the facade up. It's okay to see people for who you are. It's okay to allow people into your life. If the people we rub with, and I'll end with this, if the people we rub with every day or see during the course of our days don't see Jesus in us, where are they going to see it? Where are they going to see it? He says in verse 15, This is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We start in verse 16 of uh, next week, but put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You know, Paul says to Titus, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds. This is Titus 2, 7 and 8. With purity and doctrine, purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Nothing bad. Christ didn't come into the world to make us reformed. He didn't come into the world to make us better people. People are going, wow, wait a minute, what? 
I'm starting to get over the little line there. Am I? The people, did Christ come into the world to make us, to refashion us, to make us better people, make us religious people, to make us smart? Christ Jesus came into the world to die for sinners, to seek and save that which was lost, to make us his own. A people that has been called out of darkness into light, his own peculiar people, a special people, that we were proclaim praises, that we may be his ambassadors. That's why Christ came into the world. My friends, Christ came after you, and if you are not in him, I don't care how refined, how religious you are, you will hear those fearful words, one day, depart from me, <laughs> for I never knew you. Because you see, Christ is our creator. He's our redeemer. And he came to have a relationship unless you know him as your Savior and your Lord. You do not know God. You enter a relationship with Jesus Christ by placing your trust in him. By turning from your sin and turn to the Savior. That is called repentance unto life. And you acknowledge that Jesus Christ took your sin upon the cross and that he paid the punishment for your sin and you receive that as your own, the gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins. It's like the Philippian jailer said to Paul and Silas, and on with this. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Mike, do you want to pray, please? Heavenly Father, make this book live to us, and in us, and through us, and help us to see you in the book. Help us to see ourselves accurately. Make the book live to us. In Jesus' name, and for his sake, amen. Amen. <coughs> And it explains very well darkness and light. The wisdom of the world is darkness. The wisdom of Christ is light. You cannot get around it. I don't say uh, Proverbs 9 because that lays it out very, very clearly. God has chosen me. You know, Schofield says that one of the chief privileges, and this, this is as well, you look at Hebrews chapter 9 and elsewhere, one of the chief privileges of a priest was access to God. We are unconditionally a kingdom of priests because of Jesus Christ. It is our privilege to be able to go in the presence of God. I don't need a mediator. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between me and the Father. And He is God. I have access to the throne of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, the writer of the Hebrews says. I'm a chosen generation, your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that, he, that we may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he explains verse 10, and once we're not a people, but now are the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And that is all because we've been born again. Because we've been born again, we've obtained mercy. 
Because we are born again, we are now a people of God versus not a people of God. You know, it's a fallacy today to think, well, we're all God's creatures. So now we're all God's offspring. Absolutely. Just like Paul says in, in Acts chapter 17, trying to reason with the, the Stoics and the philosophers. Yes, we are his offspring. Absolutely. But he is not our intimate father. We don't have a relationship with him because our relationship before Christ was marred by sin. Remember, getting back to the beginning of this discussion, sin, and I'll close with these two points. Sin always causes separation. And it always causes death. That's what sin is. Sin is the opposite of life. In him there is no sin. Our life in him constitutes a relationship that is so tied to Christ that when we sin down here as a Christian, it's called defilement. It's called something that mars our fellowship. It's something that when we come to confess before God, it's an intimate matter now. It's a family matter. Okay? Because the offense of the cross... And that Jesus Christ hung there personally, naked in the rain and in the dark, suffering for you and for I. Because of that, now I am a child of God. Now, Christian, if you are a child of God, go out and do what you're created to be and to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have what religion people don't have. We have what the world doesn't have. I have I'm more wealthy than a millionaire. I have the greatest standing in life. So do you. Because I love Christ and I abide in Him and walk in Him, I am going to look forward to that day when I stand before Him. He's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I'm faithful to Him. He's my Lord. What's what's the guy that has more money than this world can afford? What's going to happen if he doesn't have Christ and he stands before God? He's going to say, God's going to say, your name is not found here. Away from me in outer darkness. What's all your millions and everything else going to do for you now? We are rich beyond all imagination. And this is all because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All because of a stone that not only the religious, but the world has rejected. This is the cornerstone. This is what God, this is his eternal life. And I will sum it up in... The, I don't know how to say this any better than what Jesus said, and I will close with this. John chapter 17. This is an astounding, astounding declaration. And remember, John 17 was was a dialogue between Jesus and his Father. John chapter 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. That we may know the one who created us. That we, may, that we may realize that our Creator has become our Redeemer. That we may realize that God loves me beyond imagination, and yet God is holy, pure, right, just. What's He going to do? 
He's going to send his own son to fulfill his own types and his own scriptures by being an innocent substitute and walking this life that I in perfect obedience that I can't. So therefore, that not only proves that he's my perfect sacrifice, but he's my representative. And he goes to the cross, and he is the innocent substitute for my sin. God heaped my sin upon Christ, and Christ died as that innocent substitute by becoming sin for me, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, Paul says. And now Jesus said, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Leon, you want to pray, please? Thank you, Lord, for your word. It is the words of life to us. Thank you for sending a Redeemer to pay the penalty that we owe, that we may and we will be with you for all eternity. We thank you so much in Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Oh, as, as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Listen to this. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will be their acceptance but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches are broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and of the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Wow. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness of part has happened to Israel. This is the understanding we're at today, brethren. Again, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion. Back, Wow, we're back in Micah 5 too. There's going to be one that's going to come from me that's going to be ruler over Israel. And he was born... 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. You know, the Orthodox, a lot of the Orthodox Jews now are still looking for the Messiah. He's come. The deliverer will come out of Zion. He will turn away a godliness from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Wow. And that's what's happening today. Israel's being regathered into the land. We see uh, alliances with with uh, nations we've never seen before happening today. We see the capability of global war like we've never seen, like today, on and on. The scriptures are being fulfilled. 
Father, I thank you for this evening and the study we've had. I pray that the richness of your word would, would just uh, go down in the fiber of our being. And Lord, that we would look at the world through the, the lens of Scripture, through your eyes, that we would look at our life through Scripture, and we would see how our life is a blessing, but yet we can lay in those promises contented and restful, knowing that we are kept by a God who does not commit abortion. He does not put on probation. What he says, he will do. And Father, I pray that you would keep the foundation of life solid, strong, and we would stand on the word and the word alone, anticipating your return. And Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christ, are you sure right now that your sins are forgiven? Are you assured that you will not face the judgment of God and be banished forever to a place called hell, which is from the presence and the glory away from the presence of God Himself in torment? Are we sure? Because if you're not, you can't rest completely and fully. You still have fear. And the Bible says a perfect love casts out fear. Because my judgment was heaped upon Christ. You know, he'll wear, he'll wear the scars for all eternity of suffering. We need to be sure of this salvation. I think there's some listening that need to know that that might have been going to church for a long time, that might have thought they knew their Bible, that might have, you know, but they never were really sure. You can be sure now that you're are a sinner. We all are. The only difference between me and somebody that's dead in their sin is I'm a sinner saved by grace. I am alive because Christ lives in me. I have a future. I have a hope. I know that my sins are forgiven, that, when, that whether I live or whether I die, I'm the Lord's. I know that when I get when I die and I stand before him, I am not going to be condemned for my sinful condition. I know that when I stand before him, I'll be welcomed because he is my savior and my Lord, and he longs for me to be with him. If you cannot be assured of this in your own life, you need to repent, which means to come to Christ and turn your life around and face him as your savior. Face Him as the one who has taken all the punishment for your sin. He has answered for every awful sin you could ever do. He's answered for it. He was judged for it. He died for it. And He rose again a new creation. And Peter said, that's our living hope. Because Christ rose from the dead and He's coming back. And Father, I thank You for the word this morning. Lord, I just ask that, that those that 
that are listening uh, by the internet or what have you, the Lord, that they would, would say, in effect, God, I have sinned. I have not given you a second thought. I have not given you your due. And I have sinned. I have gone my own way. I have done my own thing. Not giving a not giving a hoot about the things that that were important to you. That I didn't give honor and homage to the one who created me. That I didn't give you a second thought. But Lord, I realize that I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. Now I turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid for my sins upon the cross. And that three days later, he rose from the dead. And he bids me to follow him, and I place my trust in him. And that I would know that I have a hope today, tomorrow, and the next day, because Christ rose from the dead. And God, I know that by that happening, that you showed me that my sins are gone if I put my trust in Christ. And I receive that gift of eternal life and forgiveness now. And as Jesus died on the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He died for me so that I won't have to suffer separation from you. God forever. I want to be born again. Ask Him into your heart, into your life, as your Savior from sin. And that's exactly what He will give you, is a new life and forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray this will be the plight of us all, that we'd understand your word and that we would rejoice in it. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.